Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Essie Davis to talk about her current projects. She's currently starring in the movie Justice of Bunny King, along with the Netflix series Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. And, and starting with the Justice of Bunny King, you know, it sounds like this was a very, very extensive preparation process for you in terms of character. And even down to the dialect, you know, it's 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 not a completely dissimilar dialect from your own accent, but also very far away in terms of a lot of the specificity of sound and there's kind of even just it feels like there's a real regional feel to this character as well and so I was really interested in what your starting point was in terms of finding the character's voice and what felt really important in that aspect of building her for you. Uh, yeah I spent a lot of time working on the accent. Um, it is very complex actually considering it is quite close to the Australian accent and because of the class as well that uh, and this kind of specific area of class that Bunny is from, it needed to be 100% authentic. And um, and we were working on the, the, the script when it first came to me was miraculously joyful and hopeful and powerful and potent and uh, wicked and funny and, and, um, and still needed work on the third act. But, it, but when I went to New Zealand a year later to actually start working on it. It had just had the script had been had the life sucked out of it and just been come this very bleak, dark, yeah. um unhopeful, unfunny kind of thing. <laughs> so Gayson, the our uh, fantastic director, and I literally rescued, wrangled the script from from its origin original um um, hope and and pulled it all back together, but we were constantly working on the script right up until maybe before. So actually, working on the dialect was really really hard because I didn't have the words I was going to say. And every you know, it's it's like uh, every word you say might have a different uh, impact on the word that follows it. So having that script to work on the dialect was really, really important. And um, but when, when I began, I was nervous as because I was the only Australian on set. Everyone else was a Kiwi. And um, but we had a, a very eclectic bunch of uh, beautiful New Zealand, mostly female crew, and I'd get little thumbs up from behind, you know, wardrobe going, yeah, you sound like my mate. You sound like my mate. You know, <laughs> you know, just go. Oh my god, she sounds like. So it took a it took a long time to get it right, and I still, you know, had to throw in a few vowels in ADR. But <laughs> but getting her voice was really important. I really love that. And I read something where you were mentioning that there were a lot of women that you met with for this role. Um, I know that you did also meet with people who worked at, at the version of kind of dress for success that we see in the film. What were some of those conversations or people that you wanted to meet and talk to, to really flesh out this character? And, and from that, what are some of the aspects that ended up being part of her characteristics and traits in the film and your performance? Well, I, I mean, I was, quite surprised even when we were shooting um scenes uh like at the at the sifts I don't know what it's called in the film it's the it's the you know it's work and children social services um nearly nearly all of the extras in 
in there had were women who had been through um who were talking in 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 wardrobe going oh that's happened to me I've had my children taken away from me I was astounded the amount of people who have been in that situation and people on the poverty line and people who have this thing called uplifting where they have their babies taken from them at birth because they are deemed an unsafe mother because they've married to or boyfriends a drug addict or uh you know it, it's incredibly traumatic and it seems like a it's probably a Western worldwide um, uh, phenomenon, but it does seem incredibly anti-female, um, very uh, heavily based on um, whether the man has equal rights or whether the man is uh, is uh, safe or or. <laughs> not and I just I found it just incredible going to dressed for success I don't know which one is ours dressed to impress or dressed for success ours is not the real name but the the actual um voluntary service that is provided in dressed for success um that was just a wonderful wonderful thing to go and visit and experience watch people watch women get transformed women who are out of jail women who are on the poverty line just being get a group of volunteers getting together outfits from this big warehouse of donated nice outfits to um give them some kind of uh present presentable out, out appearance that makes them feel good about themselves and gives them a chance in getting work or getting accommodation uh I just I I felt like uh, all of that was so integral to my creation of bunny also because you know when you put an outfit on and you look at yourself in the mirror, it has such an impact on how you feel about yourself, let alone how other people view you. And that's what I also found quite wonderful in our dress for success when Bunny doesn't want to wear any of these dresses or skirts or doesn't really want to be there at all. She's happy in how she presents herself. To suddenly be given this, you know, worn-out blue suit and put it on and it it for me it was it felt like uh, a transformation of bunny's character into this kind of super human this potentially successful you know accommodation worthy woman and it felt like putting on a an outfit that was you know a john travolta saturday night fever kind of outfit it felt so empowering and so uh cool and fun and and it suddenly gave bunny this edge of of confidence that she was um she was a bit of all right she she could she could do this like, yeah the wardrobe and makeup and accent all everything comes together 
from the inside and the outside to help make this beautiful, specific go-getter woman who I'm just, you know, I I, I felt honoured to play her. Right, and I, and I love watching that that transformation that you bring. You know, there's not even any words that she's speaking out loud to anybody in that moment of really having that shift from when she first walks in and is asked what her style is and she doesn't even really know. And she's like windscreen squeegee chic with a little sexy, you know, it's kind of I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I love that you create that empowering transformation, but you still allow for there to be a bit of recalibration and uncertainty. And even just that scene where we see you kind of walking in the shoes and there's a little bit of a cautious uncertainty and, you know, yeah, she doesn't know how to, she's like trying on again. And the real estate guy's talking to her and when he starts flirting with her. So there's the confidence, but also kind of the still trying to navigate it. And so how did you want to approach making sure that both of those sides still came forth, even though it is this real transformative moment for her? It doesn't suddenly revolutionize and change her into someone else immediately overnight. No, it's definitely trying something on <laughs> and trying on a persona or, or trying on a way of, behaving with someone who's treating her completely differently to how she's been treated for years. So just um, juggling that and navigating it and and that kind of, you know, bunny, it, she's, she's a good person and she generally gets on quite well with people. Um, but she's, you know, to be treated so uh, flatteringly it's 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 this kind of how far can I take it feeling that she just goes oh wow (gasps) that just kind of discovering the power of this magic suit and these magic shoes that she can't quite work out how to walk in heels or you know she's been in the same pair of trainers with a hole in she's got that dodgy bra that's still her dodgy bra but she's got this out she's got this um wonder suit on this kind of suit of armor that just it's a bit clunky but oh wow it works it's the invisibility cloak And in terms of her emotional plane as a character, you know, there's so many different facets that are coming forward in the film. And you, you, you know, you were mentioning before the importance of the joy and the humor and the jubilance. And there's even just like heartbreaking levels of optimism where she still towards the end of the film thinks that they're going to bring her kids to her and have this birthday party. Um, And at the same time, she's also dealing with loss and trauma, pain and grief. And that sometimes comes out as pain. And it also sometimes comes out as anger. Anger, the moment where she finds her niece in the, the swimming pool. Um, and so how did you approach kind of finding the emotional plane of a character that is trying not to address certain things because they're too painful to look at, but inevitably come to the surface in certain ways alongside making sure that you always brought forth that joy and jubilance that was so important to you in this character? Well, Barney wears a heart on his sleeve and is genuinely optimistic she will fight for what she thinks is right and that is to be the mother of her to be the parent parenting her children and I've had I've had a a few um I I don't always read reviews but I have read a few 
where people have suggested she's got a mental health issues. And for me, I never felt like she had mental health issues, but she has had trauma and she has protected her child from death. She has protected her children and she has gone to the, to the absolute extreme to do so. And she has had childhood trauma. She's been through what her niece is experiencing. She's been taken away. She's been through what her children have experienced. She's been in foster care. She's been in bad situations and split up from her sister. And, and that trauma is underneath everything. But her hope and her love and her essential goodness, it just, um, it, it, she's just good. So when those times that where, where, where people are playing with that, when Tonya's playing with that idea of, you know, playing dead or, in, or people, th Bevan threatens both Tonya, his niece, but also threatens to um, take in Bunny's children. That level of uh, territorial rage is, is just such a part of Bunny where she's like, there's no way. She's, she has killed in order to protect her children and that if she has to take things, if people can only exist through violence and anger, then she will take the violence and the anger. If they can't, just let her live her life and give her a break, then she will she will be violent and angry because that seems to be the only way that she can stand up for herself. And one of the most empowering parts of playing this was the kind of letting go, the rage, the being able to vandalise Bevan's car. It was great fun, you know, get, getting out his spray can and riding scum on his car and weeing in his sunroof and smashing his windscreen just in that, in that fight or flight, and she does, she does both. She fights and then she flies and she flies to her children and breaks the next lot of rules. And, and uh, to me it was just uh, she's a complex, fantastic character and um, I, I never, ever found her decisions wrong. I always felt like that they were absolutely the right decision and the best she could do in that moment. And in, in talking about a moment towards the end of the film, I really love the, the beautiful scene where she's on the phone with her daughter and singing happy birthday to her. But in essence, it's a goodbye because it feels like there's a lot of immediacy and emotion in the, in a lot of leading up to that. And that's a moment where she knows I'm not going to see her anytime soon. You know, th this is over at this point with everything that's happened. Um, and so how did you want to go into filming a scene like that, that has so much tenderness and, and emotion, and especially for a moment that you're also delivering as a performance without the other person on the other side of the room as a scene partner to you? Well, it was really important that, um, that she give her daughter this great birthday party and she's honest enough with her teenage son who she knows knows and she can tell him that she's fucked up 
that it's not what hasn't worked out the way she wanted it to. But yet again, she has going to disappoint him. But she's going to do the best she can to still have that lovely birthday message to her daughter to make her laugh and smile. And she's not going to sit there weeping <laughs> so her top so her daughter can hear. She's gonna go, yay, you're the best. I love you so much. To she's gonna still give her this birthday party because she promised it. And that's that's it's um you can't help but be in in um in this kind of painful place because it's not how she wanted it to be. She's got her all of these really cool presents that she's stolen. <laughs> <laughs> and she set up this incredible, beautiful birthday party room in the place where she's keeping her um her Sif's agent hostage. <laughs> and she's, you know, it's it's so hopeful and so messed up. It's um, yeah, I think it's an incredibly important film and the voice of so many women who haven't heard, had their voices heard. And and because I think it's a really positive, hopeful, uplifting kind of film, even though it's about really dark stuff, it is, it's a film where you should be championing for for Bunny to succeed to you know to be outrageous to feel rage to keep to take things to the most extreme because so many women are stuck in this situation and you know there's no matter how hard you behave yourself it's uh it, you're not necessarily going to win that way either no, I absolutely agree in terms of the film and and in jumping over and talking about Cabinet of Curiosities and, and you know, the anthology series and the episode that you're in, um, you know, you're playing this woman who's got such passion and dedication to a life that she spent in, in studying birds to such a degree that her and her husband literally make bird noises to each other when they're communicating at one point. Um, and so what was the window into your process and your journey of really understanding and tapping into that passion and really understanding what it is that connects her so much because it's not just an intellectual thing for this character it's a really emotional thing for her as well well she's a you know a woman in the in the 50s who's been through Cornell University and not very many women had the opportunity to do that or were regarded in any way and in fact um for her to be able to go on these field trips it's very lucky that she met her husband and that he was also interested in the same things because women were not given money to go on field trips. So the fact that they are, as a couple, were able to go and study these murmurations of, of the Dunlin birds in Nova Scotia together is quite um, a an outstanding achievement and you know, the whole opening of that film where she's giving this lecture and then even though her husband has done wonderful photography and film work, that he gets all the kudos, even though she's the 
essentially the brains behind the behind the study of the of the actual Dunlin behavior and and um I think that that kind of passion and curiosity and you know essentially to be a bird watcher you have to be quite a quiet person and personality and um working with Jennifer Kent before we began and Andrew Lincoln, we had just a wonderful, um, very brief rehearsal period where we um, built our characters together and just the the shyness and the quietness of, of those two people having found each other. But in the story, we've been together a very long time and, um, and having had that... Uh, having had this kind of history where um, they've had a, a child very late in their relationship and that child has passed away, just living with that um, grief and not being able to uh, express it, being sort of unable to express that grief. And then the incredibly haunting beauty of murmurations of those bird murmurations which give me goosebumps just imagining them in my mind they are otherworldly and supernatural and you can really understand why this has become an embodiment of freedom but also an embodiment of of what essentially becomes that this other previous family's grief and and stuckness and the fact that these birds are just kind of stuck grounded to this house because of this grief that is in this house and Nancy's ability eventually to embrace her own grief and be free and let the birds be free it's kind of I think it's really interesting it is you're bringing up before the the idea of you know for someone to be a bird watcher and to be so involved in that space that they have to be kind of a very quiet and very patient person and so in your performance there's a real deliberateness to the pacing you know a real kind of gentleness to anytime she speaks her voice is very low and very quiet because she's used to being you know even with her husband around these these animals and there are some moments where she speaks a little faster or she raises her voice but it's with so much intent um and so did you find a lot of the deliberateness in terms of her dialogue as a character and even just her movement being very slow and, and cautious did that really come out of that rehearsal period that you were mentioning with Andrew and Jennifer or, or were there elements of that that you found on set as well once you were in the setting well both really both I mean uh it was a, a very brief rehearsal period, but it was uh, uh, very detailed. And I think um, we both found the way our characters moved and uh, essentially together with Jennifer managed to recreate our our entire relationship <laughs> in about three days. So we had this shorthand with each other. I could just literally look at Andrew in the eye for any reason in any scene and be wherever I needed to be because we knew our history together. And the 
I I guess then the the physicality and the dexterousness of of their ability with the sound recording equipment and tent <laughs> tent putting up and things that that came with practicing with with the elements in the in the space and then just having that amazing um house to to work work in and walk through and run through and uh I I guess every little bit you you find stuff all the time, so you never stop working. Even now, I'm still going. Oh, I should have done that. I should have done that. <laughs> I love the way that you know Jennifer and and you and Andrew have used genre and used that idea of kind of like a very slow build of tension and it being very much in this emotional space for the character and everything that she's going through in her relationship and and the loss that you were speaking about that they've experienced um you know and in in terms of of building that and really also seeing her as an an empathetic character who as she starts to see something in the house as she starts to hear noises as she starts to see the birds doing different things it's that she's drawn to it and very connected to it did you and Jennifer talk at all about the idea of of tension because it feels like so much is led by your performance in that regard but also that it's just very a very character driven emotional driven piece i i don't think we talked about tension that's that's but you can you can feel you can you can feel when it needs to be that um this is a woman who is unable to grieve and who is a scientist when all of these unscientific things are happening and she half believes she's going mad and she knows that she can't tell her husband because he's a scientist and he'll go, you're going mad, darling. Uh, so, and he clearly doesn't hear or see what she hears and sees. So I think that element of a scientist can't possibly experience this, therefore, who am I? And I have all these feelings but when I feel them, he doesn't want them. And when I'm not feeling them, he wants me to feel something. Just that kind of uh, internal dilemma of, and she just gets stuck and more angry because she can't own who she is, what she's been through, or share what she's going through. So it's well, quite it's a it's quite a sad sad um very sad story really but the tension and the and the uh those kind of thrilling chills and scares that come mostly with those you know that little hand coming over the shoulder and there <laughs> there i think um jen Kent is very good at um at she's written this it's her it's you know she's very good at seeing what what's creepy and I'm very good at doing what's creepy <laughs> or being creeped out I guess <laughs> I'm good at being creeped out <laughs> terrified I, I really, really love this this collaboration between the two of you in creating this episode. And these are both 
such fascinating projects that really, you know, in essence are exploring women going through this idea of trauma and grief in very different ways and very different genres. So it's really fascinating to hear all these details. Thank you so much, Essie. Really, really appreciate all of your time today. Mara, it's been delightful. Thank you. Thank you for your time.